data doesn't have to be hard. And ultimately, if we start looking forward to being able to take our data and use that data to drive instruction, then our learners get so much more out of our lessons. Welcome to A Step Forward, a podcast for ambitious VI specialists who are challenging the status quo. I'm Cassie Maloney, your new work bestie. With over 15 years of experience as an O&M specialist, author, professional development junkie, mom, and owner of Allied Independence, I have been through the ringer. And now I'm here to bring you a boost of inspiration, information, and our favorite innovation as we trade feeling overwhelmed for overjoyed while we create a significant impact in the lives of our learners and still lead more balanced, fulfilling lives. So grab your favorite beverage because we're about to take a step forward. I really wanted to be somewhere else, anywhere else, but one place in particular. It was a beautiful day out. It was the first cool, crisp fall day of the year. One of those days where the cool breeze just makes you feel so alive and reminds you that Life isn't just sweltering heat, at least here in Texas, when our summers are so long, that first cool breeze makes you just want to get outside. But I was stuck inside, specifically doing progress reports. My boyfriend at the time sent me a text towards the end of my workday and asked if I wanted to go get margaritas on our favorite patio. Did I want to? Yes. But could I? No. I was stuck staying late at work again. Sometime between leaving university and this day, the data brigade had amplified past my capacity. Maybe you can relate. The amount of data we had to take seemed to cut into everything. It took away from my ability to call parents on a regular basis. It took away from my planning time. It even took away from my favorite margarita on my favorite patio with my favorite person time. The amount of data that we had to take wasn't the issue. It was that my systems never caught up with the new demands. I was still taking notes on pieces of paper. Sometimes they were scattered around. Sometimes they were on sticky notes. And when I got my first real smartphone way back in the day, I tried to take some notes there, but it really didn't look professional. So I stopped. All of that meant that when I went to plan for next week's lesson, I was also making it up as I went along because I didn't have the data that I needed, which objectively is not a good plan. Robin Clark would be appalled at my lack of lesson planning and pedagogy. But this wasn't the first time that I had been stuck at work much later than I had wanted to be there, but I was determined to make it one of my last. Oddly enough, it wasn't until I started trying to run a business that I actually took classes on time management. Why is that anyway? Why don't we have time management presentations in our in-services? I digress. What I learned is what is called the Pareto's principle. 80% of our success is determined by 20% of our actions. And you can probably see this in a number of areas in your life. Like the moment that you give up soda, you end up losing weight, even though you otherwise eat healthy and you exercise. Or maybe it's that your best friend gets 80% of your tea, but is only 20% of your friend group. And I see it with the symposium and allied as well. 80% of our impact is created by the O&M symposium, but it's only 20% of what we do here at Allied. Maybe not even that. So how does that really affect us? It tells us that we can drop a bunch of the stuff that we're doing because it's not effective anyway. If we want to move the needle forward, 
we need to focus on that 20% that's actually making the impact. And we can actually let go of the 80% that isn't working for us. That's how we become more productive, right? We focus on the 20, we get rid of as much of the dead weight in the tasks that we're doing that would take up the 80%. And then of that, narrow it down to more 20%, more 20%, more 20% until we are even more and more and more efficient. So how do you know what to drop exactly? Well, that's what I'm going to get into today. Today, I'm going to go over the worst four letter word in teaching, data. Why we need it, what data we need to take, and how we can remove the most inconsequential tasks so that way we can focus 20% of our actions on the things that move the needle 80% of the way. I'm also going to share my exact strategy for how I set up my data sheets so that they're accessible anywhere I go, anytime, and I can submit my invoices really quickly. The Resilient Educator, which is a blog, shares the types of data, and they say that there's formative data, and that's going to be more things like your checklists, your worksheets, things of that nature, things that you would do on a day-to-day basis. You also have observations, which you know what that is. And then there's standardized tests and key milestone exams or key project work. And I think for us, I like to think of that as like drop-off lessons or things that you are working towards, but you need all of the components of that project in order to complete it. And then there are student files and student reported data. So I like to look at it as like your regular day-to-day is your observations and your formative data. On progress report day, that's when you look at your key milestone data and then evaluations, you're going to use a combination of all of the above. Now, how you collect this, of course, is up to you. LSU has an article online where they talk about how to use the student data to drive your instruction. And they say that first you need to establish colleague and administrator buy-in, of course. You need to invest in the right data management tools, which we'll go over what I use and why I use what I use instead of sticky notes or random notebooks everywhere. For your data management tools, it needs to be accessible to all of the correct, the right teachers who have a FERPA reason to be able to access it. It needs to be able to provide consistent data and it needs to provide adequate security to protect their information. You also need to be very thoughtful on which data points to track. You don't need to track everything. But there are some key pieces of information that you need to track for different reasons, and it'll depend on who employs you and what information they need. I work for a plethora of different schools, and each one of them wants different things. And you just kind of have to do what they say. And then it's about analyzing the data, identifying gaps and opportunities, and then turning that data into action and sharing your findings with others. So that way you can roll release, you can get them on board, and you can help make the team even better. So let's go back to the types of data that we're looking at. The regular day-to-day data, the progress report day data, and then evaluation data. We've already talked about how regular day-to-day data is your observations and your formative data. Your progress report day is going to be more of your key milestone data and your evaluations are a combination of all the above. Here's one thing that I think that we're doing wrong is we are looking at that data in that order daily, weekly or quarterly, and then yearly or tri-annually. And if we flip it, we are so much more successful. So here's the way that I like to look at it. Specifically from your evaluations, you're going to want to make sure that your recommendations give enough wiggle room so that you can really soar in the next three years. And then 
we're looking at how we set up our goals. I know we're talking about data, right? So why am I talking about goals? Because how we set up our goals is going to determine what data we take and how we take it. So if you're setting up your goals in a way that doesn't work or is like the old way of doing things where things are so subjective and you're saying things like, oh, they're going to cross the street 70% of the time. Well, that's going to be really hard to track. Of course it is. Why not set yourself up for success? We get to write our own goals. So why are we consistently making ourselves out to be the victim here? We're not. We're in control and we can set up our goals for our learners the way that works best for us if it also meets their needs. Here's what I mean. I like to set up my progress report goals so that the learners are expected to perform their goal in one lesson. I don't need three bus trips to know if you can ride a city bus. You probably don't need five different Braille examples to know what they can do in Braille. Now, if you have learners who do need cumulative data, like learners with multiple impairments, learners with traumatic brain injury, that's a different story. And you can write it so that way you gather that data in a specific way. And I'll show you what that is in a second. So when you're writing your goals, I like to write them so that I can take the data on one specific day. And that does mean that I lower my prompts. Of course. So just make sure that you're still reaching the same goals. It's just that your data collection time is shorter. Now, I like to do this for a few reasons. One, because it's a more clear way of showing progress for the parent. And for two, there isn't a lot of nuance. It's binary. Did they do it or did they not do it? You can't go back and say, yeah, well, maybe sometimes uh, in this situation. No. Did they do it or did they not do it? Pretend that the parent is following you around with a video recorder. Did the learner complete the task or did they not? Period. Yes or no. That's it. How many prompts did it actually take? What type of prompts did it take? And how many times were they able to do it given the amount of opportunities that they had? When we drag it out, things become much more subjective. And sometimes we don't need more than one lesson to see if they can perform the task. Now, if you are looking for something over time, that's a different story. And once you have your progress reports done, then what I do is I plan a data taking week. That's right. I plan a full data taking week where my lessons for that week are all progress report data. Look at that. A, my lessons are planned, at least for one week. <laughs> Look, I got four. Okay, I got four lessons out of the year, out of the way, because they're planned because I'm going to be taking data on their progress report, and that's all I'm doing. I personally like to do the week before the last week of the grading period, specifically because there's a lot of shuffling around of lessons during the last week of the grading period. There might be finals, there might be holiday shows, there might be other things going on, or even fun lessons. And I want my kids to be able to experience that, and I want to stress out a little bit less. Now, if you are doing one of those goals where you have to make it over the course of a month or over the course of the semester, then I'd plan specifically one week out of that quarter to take data on all of your goals that have continual progress reporting needs. And here's the thing, then you don't have to guess about where your data is. You just go back into your data on progress report day and copy paste it. You don't have to think about it. 
it's right there. And all of your learners, their data is in the same exact column, same exact space or week or whatever. You don't have to wonder when you took the data. It's right there. Now, if you aren't into copy and pasting, I don't know what to tell you because for me, it's a lot easier. But wait, wait, I know exactly what you're going to say. This is going to take a long time to set up, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to take some time to set up. And that's where time becomes not something that you spend, but that you invest. We often don't think about time as this ever-flowing resource. As teachers, we're taught that money is scarce and time is abundant. But that is not right. No, sir, no, ma'am. Money is abundant. Time is our greatest resource. If you're smart or if your employer forces you to, you invest some of your money into your retirement later, right? You probably have a monthly budget on how you spend your money, right? So why aren't you looking at time in the same manner? When you spend your time now in ways that save you time in the long run, guess what? You have more time later. Think about it. The reason you don't have time right now is because you didn't invest the time to do this earlier. So if you want more time later, doesn't it make sense to spend some time right now so that way you can have more later? Time is going to pass either way, no matter how you spend it. So you can either choose to waste it or invest it. And that's your choice. For those who want to invest it, Let's carry on. Okay, let's think about how to set up your data sheet and have it work every single time. You can take notes or you can just follow along with me as we do this. First and foremost, I take data digitally. When I want to write something, when I want to feel creative, when I want to get that visceral feeling of writing out, I do it on pen and paper. I have notebooks everywhere. Anybody who works one-on-one with me or if you're in our planning committees or if you've ever presented with us, you know that I am a notebook person. I have so many notebooks and I will write everything down. (laughs) You and I can be in a conversation and I will write down the entire conversation. Not that I need to go back to it, but I have to write it down. Not the same for data. It's a habit that I had to kick because it was slowing me down. I was tired of trying to find where my data was on a daily basis so that I could lesson plan or so that I could do my progress reports. And then I was tired of making it up on the fly. That's not what we want for our profession. And O&M and VI services specifically are so subjective. We don't have very many normed tests and we don't have an actual objective way of looking at our learners most of the time. So the more objective we can be, the better. So I do it digitally. Specifically, I use Google Forms. I've been using them for a few years and here's how I do it. So that way it works almost every single time. First thing that you're going to want to do is set up your data sheet. The second thing you're going to want to do is plan for failure. Yeah, I said it. You're going to plan for things to break because stuff breaks. It's technology, but it's either stuff breaking or you losing your notebook or your piece of paper or having to transfer it. So I would rather take planning for it breaking. Okay, so I set up my Google Forms one per school. It works really well for me. You could do one per district. You could do one per day. You could do one per student. I used to do one per student and that worked a little bit, but now I have multiple students at different schools. And so I set up different sections. And in my sections, I have just information that I need about the lesson. I have the student's name and then I have different sections sections based on was it direct, indirect, or were they absent? And I set it up so that my Google Forms jump to the correct section, depending upon if I put if it was direct, indirect, or they were absent. So this is what's on my Google Forms. I have a drop down menu for the students. If I see 
certain students together, I also add that as a drop down option. Then after the student, I have the date and the time. I want specifically the amount of time and the actual time, 115 to 215. And I want to have all of those so that I could write them out. The date, they'll do a little calendar thing. I think that's fine. But the time, I just leave it as a short text answer. Those two things specifically, I do because I invoice from my data sheets. And so that way I literally just copy and paste and it's super easy. Okay, from there, if you go into direct on my data forms, then it asks for the goal and it's just a line that I can write the goal. I know my learner's goals and I can just put cane skills or I can put street crossings or something of that nature. And I don't have to have it all laid out. I used to have it all laid out and that was great, but this is also really easy. Then I have the base for the data. Again, I used to have sections for all of this and now I literally just have a part for data and then I have a part for notes. So I like to have my data separate from my notes specifically because I need to know like, was the student in a bad day that day? Was it cloud? Was their parent there? Did they have an asthma attack prior? The notes just tell me a little something extra where if I have it together, then it can get jumbled or muddled. And I don't want that. For my indirect service section, that I do have a lot of checkboxes. I want to know what kind of indirect service was it? Was it a meeting? Was it a collaboration with the parent? Was it travel? Was it record review? Was I doing paperwork or data? List out all the ways that you do indirect services. And then I have absent. And for my absent section, I want to know, was I notified prior or was I not notified prior? Because that for me depends on my invoicing. Well, my invoicing will depend on that. And then I just make some more notes about it. So I have a notes section in every single one. And then I just put in those sections what I need. So then that way I'm not going through all of these sections every time. It's just going to jump and it's going to submit it. Bam. What ends up happening is that I then have a spreadsheet on the back end and I can keep that in a FERPA compliant folder. I can share that FERPA compliant document with my special ed director so that they can see at any moment what I've been working on, where we've been, all of my information and really what their bill is going to be. And then from there, when I need to input the information into our software, I literally can copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. But if somebody needs to see something prior, they have access to it. It's no big deal. It's all in there. And here's why I like it, because I have mandated for myself and I've created the habit that as soon as I get back into the car, I fill out the information. So if I travel, I fill out the information typically once I get to the school. And then after my lesson, then I have two more data points. Then I have direct and then I have indirect. One for the lesson and then indirect, I guess, once I get home. So before I get out of the car, at each stop or once I get into the car at each stop, that's when I fill that out. Does that make sense? So I like to do it this way because it's easily accessible wherever I go. I also want to make sure that all of my email addresses have access to this document and that they are actually contributors to it. So that way, if I'm signed in with another email address and not my work email address, I have six work email addresses. I don't need that. <laughs> that's just too stressful. 
So I allow my main work email address and then my home email address because those are typically the ones that I'm signed into my Chrome account with. And then I do it that way. I also would recommend having each form directly on your phone if you have an iPhone. If you have an Android, I have no idea how to help you. <laughs> Maybe you could just bookmark it. I don't know. But I find it to be way easier to do it that way. And then what I do is I've made it a habit that either before I get out of the car or once I get into my car, that's when I fill it out. It takes one to two minutes. So I plan for that in my day that I'm going to need to fill out that data. And I want to do it as soon as possible. I don't want to be sitting there thinking about it later. I just want to get my data done right there. So once I travel and I get to my school, the travel one goes in. Once I get done with my lesson, I get in my car and my direct service time goes in. And then once I get home, then I do my travel again. And then that way it's always there. But of course, the big elephant in the room is you have to plan for failure, right? Because I'm not going to tell you that this is going to work all the time. It's going to solve all your problems. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. No, it is not. I would also have an immediate backup plan in case you can't get into the form right away. And then if you are in too much of a rush and it's not working, I have one specific place that I put all of my data for all of my learners if my forms are not working. And that has seemed to work okay. The big thing here is that you have to schedule time to put the data into the software in a timely manner. I would batch that task. Honestly, I wouldn't do that on a daily basis. I would do it probably on a weekly basis, maybe at the end of the week. And what I used to do was I would make it like a fun game with myself that Friday afternoon before I got off work, I would have to have all my data in. And when I could keep myself accountable, man, it made progress reporting time so much easier. Now, of course, sometimes you're going to have meetings on Friday afternoon, or sometimes you're going to be sick, or you're going to have other things going on. And then you just need to make sure that you do it as soon as possible. All right. So there we go. I just broke down all of the data that you need for your lessons, how to categorize it, how to format your Google Forms if you want to follow along with that. I can also show you a screenshot of my Google Form if you go into the blog, alliedindependenceonline.com. Um, then you could just do forward podcast and then it'll be right there. And you can see how I set it up and you can just set it up yourself. It takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes to set all of my forms up. And I have about seven students. So really not that long. The hardest part is just linking everything on the back end and making sure the special ed directors have access to it. And it's all for compliant and all that jazz. If you're using a Gmail account through your school, it's Google for Education. That is FERPA compliant. So you don't have to worry about that. If you're contract staff, then you just need to check into your G Suite account and see if it's FERPA compliant. I can't tell you that and I'm not your lawyer. So I don't know. But if you do need a way to do this without Google data or forms, I would suggest a spreadsheet and maybe having a tab for each learner and just set it up so it's quick and easy for you to do. And then make sure that that spreadsheet somehow can also be on your phone. If you have a smartphone, I highly suggest putting it on your phone and just have one place for your data and then make time to transfer it out. Oh my gosh, I hope that this was helpful for you. Data doesn't have to be hard. And ultimately, if we start looking forward to being able to take our data and use that data to drive instruction, then our learners get so much more out of our lessons. And then we can stop wasting their time 
not remembering what they did last time or having to guess as to how many repetitions they're going to need. It's going to cut down on so much direct service time that we waste just trying to figure it out or just making things up as we go. And if you're trying to tell me, Cass, I've been in this field for 16 years. If I can't make this up as I go, what am I even doing here? I understand, but you still need a lesson plan. So you're going to need your data to inform that lesson plan. You know what I mean, Jellybean? The thing here is just making sure that you value your time and that you're investing your time regularly in things that are actually going to bring it back to you. All right, friend, I hope that this was really helpful for you. And I'd love to hear from you. If you are on Instagram, please send me a DM and let me know how this episode helped you. And if you're on Facebook or LinkedIn, same thing. I'm around there as well. Until next week, I hope that you can use this information to help you take a step forward. Impactful VI specialists are changing the way that we do things. The old way is no longer acceptable And we get to decide how we're going to make more impact without burning ourselves out. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this podcast. I would love it if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you even just came and hung out with us on social media. I'm at Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find me at Allied Independence. I'd love to hear from you in my DMs. Let me know how you like this episode and anything that you took away from it. Until next week, just remember that all you have to do is take a step forward.